this episode maybe should just like start and then we should be like wait no i mean it has te- sort of started but like you're planning that we're gonna forget to introduce the podcast <laughs> and then introduce it halfway through something like that but it, it would be better if it happened organically i must admit all right well maybe we'll do that next episode yeah no one will remember that <laughs> okay so i i'm not teo i'm ben and i'm not ben i'm teo and we are pixel, pixel vision. vision very good cool so um, this right, week kick go on no, no, you, you kick it off. Go on. This week we are talking... No, well, hang on. That's me saying you kick it Right, Teo, go. So this week we've been playing... Oh, I say this week. It takes me a lot longer than a week to finish a game, as Ben well knows. Um, but yeah, we've been playing The Outer Wilds. Just expound on it a little bit. We've been playing The Outer Worlds. Yeah, we are. Outer Wilds. That's the first of many times that you're going to call it The Outer Worlds by mistake, I'm oh, sure. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that happened organically, at least. No, that that is a an easy mistake to make. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. You've loved the game? Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Magical. Yeah. I did see that coming, although I was expecting, because you didn't finish it, just forecasting that now, I thought maybe you hadn't enjoyed it that much, because I thought maybe you'd have, like, made more effort to finish it before the pod if you had that's not it's just yeah no you're right like i think that i should focus on finishing more because then it would create a more balanced discussion between the two of us but i feel like i still have so much to say about the game that i almost don't mind that i haven't finished it and i felt like i was really inhabiting the world and enjoying my journey through it at every step and part of the reason I was taking it at such a leisurely pace is just because I enjoyed being in it so much. Like, there are a bunch of games that reminded me of, which I'll get to, all of, all, all of which are games I really like. But yeah, it was so relaxing and chilled out and nice to be in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's super zen game. It definitely is. I didn't love it quite as much as you did, but I did enjoy it. The thing I liked about it was that it was just so zen. There's no threat factor. The vibe is just super calm. You know, other than frustration, it's a very low blood pressure game, isn't it? Yeah, there were a few little threats in it, I thought, which, which worked quite well. Like, it did get your heart pumping on a few occasions and in a few places. But yeah, for the most part, you don't feel really any sense of danger, that's for sure. You do feel a sense of awe, I would say, but, but probably not danger, especially due to how the game's structured mechanically. So I'll give a little summary of it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Looking forward to your, your scripted Teo Manolo. Well, I haven't actually scripted it in the end, but I have thought about it for like a few minutes. So right, it, okay. it might come out as a little bit more articulate than normal. I'm looking forward um, to seeing what this polished sheen looks like. <laughs> God, no pressure. Um, so it's a puzzle adventure game set in a single solar system where you're propelled forward not only by your rocket ship, which you take out on each each expedition into the solar system to explore its various planets, but also by the 22-minute time loop that you are in. So after 22 minutes of playing the game, the sun will explode and you'll arrive back where you started. You'll wake up once again. There's this great little sound effect, which you'll hear a bunch of times, which is like, (gasps) as of you waking up and then back on another 22-minute expedition, you go... So one of the things which makes it compelling and that you want to move forward in the game is that you can go anywhere and do anything from that starting position. So what you gain after each expedition or after each run through of the time loop is your knowledge about the game world. So you know where to go because you've learned a new bit of information. Yeah, like Groundhog Day. Like Groundhog Day, yeah, which I haven't seen. Or Edge of Tomorrow. How many times have we been here? How many times? For me, it's been an eternity. Yeah, or another game which I haven't played called Minute, which is even more extreme than this, where I think you're only alive for a minute. Yeah, that's a little indie game that's quite new as well, isn't it? Yeah, I put it down on our list of games to play, but it's almost too, probably too small. Like, I think it only takes a few hours or something. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about the details of the game yeah, yeah i don't think you need to for this one i almost want to say spoiler warning just right from the beginning 
because oh for my me, god i'm so glad you said that <laughs> i've literally got in bold at the very top we're just gonna have to go with spoilers because in order to talk about the game at all by its very nature as an exploration game you start knowing nothing and then you mm. just have to you just have to learn and like if we can't talk about everything you learn along the way like as soon as we start talking about that we're already ruining the experience to some extent mm. you want to discover it for yourself like that's the, the best bit about the game um so yeah, don't listen to this podcast unless you've already played the game or you're never going to play the game but really want to hear about it. Or you don't really care and you might play the game still but you just are desperate to listen to us talk about the game before <laughs> you play it. You put pretty specific Venn diagram of people which I don't think exists. Uh, but yeah, we love you if you do exist. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't at all what I expected. Nothing like what I expected, actually. Ah. I guess just because when you hear about it or you read about it, the thing that's focused on is like the space travel to outer worlds. <laughs> outer, I'm, I mean it in its literal sense now. You, the space travel to outer worlds in outer wilds. That's what the focus is. So in my head, I thought it was going to be way more photorealistic. Or not photorealistic, but like what we've become accustomed to experience as outer space in video games kind of thing. I hadn't anticipated, partly because I hadn't seen screenshots and stuff, that it was going to be like so cartoony. The aesthetic is really playful, like kind of like an animated sort of children's nighttime story or something. And the galaxy's really small, so small that you launch in this little spaceship and you can be everywhere. And like, I'm not criticising, I'm just saying this is not at all what I envisioned. Uh, interesting. I'm not sure what I imagined. To be fair, I think the only thing that I was expecting that I didn't get were really tricky puzzles. I was expecting kind of the witness level puzzles, mm. whereas it's, it's a lot lighter than that. Like it's not as not as taxing on your brain as the witness at all. But it did remind me of the witness in its vibe. Yeah, same. But yeah, like you mentioned how small the planets were. There's that weird mix of it being really precise with the numbers, like you're traveling at a certain speed through space, like you're like you're so many meters away but then all the planets are really small <laughs> so if you can walk around them in like 30 seconds or less 10 seconds a lot more than 10 seconds to be fair but i know what you mean it's a, it's on a small scale mm. <laughs> depends on the planet though they take ages to explore but if you actually like if you well certainly if you're in a spacecraft if you wanted to just like do an orbit of one or shoot your scout around one it'd be round in no time yeah, well, we haven't got into scouts yet. But before we do, one of the reasons that this aesthetic was so kind of stark for me was the juxtaposition as soon as you start playing between that almost sort of like grade five reading group style of like <laughs> talking and playing and like pictures versus the level of science and like it's discussing quantum theory at a level that sure it's simplified massively for an enjoyable gaming experience but at the same time <laughs> it's all grounded in science it's grounded in what actually happens at a quantum level mm. and that kind of juxtaposition is just quite a surprising choice i think yeah like it's a slightly more maybe like primary school high school level science but um right at the start when you go to your little races observatory and there's an exhibit of the sun going supernova which is obviously what we know what happens to every sun, but it takes like hundreds of millions of years. Um, it just so happens that this one's going to go supernova in 22 minutes. But like, there's a whole science exhibit there which you could learn about the real science of it, and then it happens in a short period of time in the game. Yeah, but none of the other characters in the game realise no. um, <laughs> that it's going to go supernova in 22 minutes, or indeed that it has multiple times up yeah. to now. There's that great little bit of dialogue that you can say to... I think it's called Slate, you're the rocket ship engineer, where you're like, you know the sun's about to go supernova, right? Like, after you've woken up once from the time loop, and he's like, yeah, there's an exhibit about it in the observatory. Didn't pay much attention to it, though. <laughs> yeah. There's actually only about, sort of, maybe 10 to 15 characters in the whole thing, mm. would you say? Maybe even less, like, including the kids that you sort of play hide-and-seek with at the very beginning. Mm. So basically, like, the very first planet that you're on when you start the game, which is called Timber Hearth, I think, yeah, Timber Hearth. It's a sort of tutorial planet, but like it almost lulls you into the sense that it's a tutorial planet and then subsequently becomes quite important to the story. Yeah, there's loads of little undiscovered little like tidbits and references to the rest of the game or like to the rest of the solar system in, in your starting planet. And it's the same it's the same with all of the planets, to be honest. Like they interconnect with the story in, in a really neat 
and um, effective way, I think. Yeah. So we kind of already mentioned that it's like an exploration game in a very literal sense. Um, but like, as you say, there is that hint of a story when you first get started and then they just say, go and explore. And you can say to you can when you speak to characters, you literally say to them, what am I doing here? Like, what am I looking for? What should I be exploring? <laughs> like, that is almost a question you can have with every mm. single character, isn't it? Like, where should I explore? And they always give you these really vague, non-specific answers. Like, well, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of, it, it's gamey, but also has a lot of personality, that bit. It's as if your entire race's purpose in their whole evolutionary cycle was to just explore the solar system so that you can play the game right now. As if, like, yeah. their entire existence up until this point was to facilitate this game. Which is clearly true, because that's how the game was designed. But it doesn't feel hammy, it just feels quite cute and nice. There are some more specific kind of leading trails that they give you, um, just so that you've got, you know, a smidgen of direction at the beginning. Which is essentially, there's this, like, ancient race of people. Well, they mm. say ancient in inverted commas. I'm not sure how ancient they are, given that the universe keeps looping every 22 minutes. But... Yeah, in theory, ancient race, the Nomai. Is it Nomai? Nomai? I've been saying Nomai. Nomai. But, yeah. Have you? Nomai, oh, yeah. interesting. Maybe it's because I've been learning Japanese. No. All right, show off. Casual. Since <laughs> Sekiro as well. well it's got its oh, yeah, basically, it's kind of a, ref a reference to Sekiro because that's what piqued my interest, or what? that's what partly piqued my interest. Anyway, diversion. Yeah, yeah. That really was a diversion because I've forgotten what I was saying. Oh, yeah, ancient race. You were talking about the Nomai. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, so they kind of reference are, you know, they've got some interesting stuff going on, like a mysterious statue that has glowing eyes and things that you find out pretty quickly. And then also there's one of the characters who... So there are other space travellers, aren't there? Like um, Chet or Chert or something? Chert, Grabo, one beginning with R. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, Rybeck. Feldspar. Yeah. Rybeck, Feldspar. Yeah, I really like the name. Yeah, so Feldspar is the guy who's missing and they all tell you that he's missing at the beginning in a really prominent way mm. in a such a way that it's kind of like find feldspar solve the puzzle almost mm. which it proves more or less to be the case i found that both liberating and refreshing and also a source of frustration as the game went on go on i didn't quite understand what was the source of frustration that because there's such a little amount of direction sometimes you feel like i've been here i've been there i've been there like, what am I looking for specifically? Like, I need to know, like, how I get to this place, but I, I literally have no clue. I'll just keep looking and hope that I encounter something that references it. I, I feel like I'm talking down to you here, but you used, like, the, ship's the log. kind of investigator's ship's log on the setting where it's got all the question marks and all the, like, lines between the, the rectangles. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because I thought that was really cool because that's how detectives uncover a mystery where they have one of those massive whiteboards with all the different pictures on. Like I'm imagining the wire now. There's that amazing one in the wire that they have right at the end. Um, and it felt like you were building up one of those. And whenever I was stuck for a place to go, I just looked at my board, saw what was a question mark, went back there, saw what else was going on. And it's pretty clear if there's if you've discovered everything there is to discover there or not, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true to some extent. Because you might go somewhere and just miss a whole piece of writing and it just and it just says there's more to explore here. And then that goes when there isn't more to explore. So you know if you've seen everything or not. Okay, what about the circumstances where you see the question mark saying there's more to explore there, but you've been there, you've been there again and again and again and again, and you swear down there is not more to explore there, and you are fed <laughs> up of exploring that specific place for like four hours? <laughs> well, to be fair, that never actually happened to me, I don't think. Oh, fair enough. But... At the same time, you completed the game and I didn't, so I can't exactly brag about it. No, but we'll get to that because it wasn't it wasn't through my generous patience that I completed well, the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. But yeah, anyway, um, unless you've got something else you want to say on that, I think we should talk about the, the physics of the game. Go on. Because for me, that was one of the things which made it really fun and tactile to play, kind of like a children's toy. When you're controlling a rocket ship, it's got its like three-dimensional movement and you can make it move like across, side to side, up and down. And the more you accelerate, um, the faster you go and it takes into account all of the gravity of all of the different planets in the way that you're moving. And, it, and exactly the same control system applies when you get out of your spaceship as well. 
so you've got little rocket boosters on your spacesuit to move around with. Uh, and I just, I just found the movement really satisfying and fun. Did you find it easy to fly your spaceship and to land where you wanted to and that kind of stuff? No, I found it really clunky, but really fun. <laughs> <laughs> when you first start the game, it gives you, on the kind of tutorial planet that we mentioned, Timbarth, there's like a little model spaceship that you can fly, and I swear down, I crashed that thing every single time. <laughs> I was thinking, if this is how my spaceship flies, <laughs> so many this times. is a disaster of a mission for me already. Mm. You do get a bit better at it, though, to be fair. You don't stay at the level you are when you're doing that toy spaceship. And it's actually easier to fly the, fly the big spaceship than it is to fly the toy spaceship. Yeah, all. thank God. Yeah, yeah. I quite appreciated that, actually. When I first started flying it, I wrote it down immediately as something that was going to annoy me. But then, as you say, over time, you spend so much time flying from, from planet to planet that mm. you do kind of master it. Like, by the end of the game, I, I was pretty close to landing exactly where I wanted and going where I wanted. And, like, even though the game gives you autopilot, sometimes it's just quicker to fly there and more mm. direct. And I felt like I would do it better than autopilot. Because one of the great things, or not great things, but uh, great in terms of realism with autopilot, is that it'll latch on and try and guess trajectories. But sometimes it'll undershoot or overshoot or just fly you straight into a planet or the sun in worst case scenario mm. and like that's that's cool yeah i really like that as well it punishes complacency yeah i always used the autopilot towards the second half of the game i felt when i just wanted to maybe like get to a planet like i knew where, where i was going i wasn't in super explorer mode i knew the exact piece of like the game that i was heading for so i just wanted to get there but yeah for the first 10 hours or so i hardly used the autopilot at all yeah but definitely appreciated the option yeah same but by the end same big time well especially after the first couple of times i've attempted to fly myself crashing getting out repairing my ship crashing again getting out repairing my ship because your ship's made up of like quirky little components like mm. gas tanks and like autopilots and flashlights and all this kind of stuff mm. that you then have to get out and repair if they're damaged and sometimes like if your hull gets damaged sometimes the electrics will all just like cut out in the ship and you've got no light and stuff like that mm. which are, are fun little features but I don't know. But those kind of things, when they first introduce them, you're like, oh, this is good. And then they just become a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of an annoyance. And you're kind of like, oh, for God's sake, my ship's like damaged again. But because of the because of the time loop, you could have like a really terrible landing and you'd be like, "Nah, it's fine. I'm never coming back to my ship on this playthrough anyway. Yeah, but that's kind of what I mean. So like, yeah. why did they bother implementing that stuff? I don't know. That's what I mean by it. it's a distraction. It's like an extra thing you can do, but the game never requires you to. So. Right. I think you're right that repairing your ship is quite gamey. Like you hold a button and the percentage repair goes up kind of like on Subnautica when you're, when you're building something and it just sort of like, a, like materializes. But that was one of very, very few gamified parts of the game. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was such a pure experience and had quite a lot of confidence to just be itself without a lot of those distractions, which you're talking about. I thought, Hmm. Like there's no levels or skills or items. No items. Like when was the last time you played a game without items or like an inventory or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that's not quite true. Like there are no items that you can kind of permanently have. Like, mm. well, you come equipped with some at the start to, to start with. So you've got like a uh, sound. So you navigate, basically. We haven't even talked about this. Like you navigate sure. around the universe using this. What's it called? Like especially like a sonar sort of thing. What do they call it in the game? Um, oh, no. signal detector yeah or I can't remember that's annoying it's basically like some sort of signal detector yeah. that you point around and you can change whatever frequency it's listening mm. to so you can listen to the music being played by the characters that you're looking for in the galaxy Or you can listen to the quantum fluctuations from certain shards that we'll get into. Or you can also listen to... Uh, what's, the, what's the other thing you can listen to? Uh, the stress beacons from the Nomai escape pods. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think that's actually it. There are those three things. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. You, so you switch between them and then you can hone in and it tells you how far away it is. And then you use that information to sort of plot a course or like hmm. think of something that's worth investigating. Like obviously if there's a distress beacon, you're going to go check it out. Yeah. And there are certain scenarios where it's 
not just helpful but absolutely essential to your navigation so there's one planet where you go inside it and it's bigger inside dark bramble than it is on the outside and in order to navigate kind of like the lost woods in fact so much like the lost woods in zelda now that i'm thinking about it um to know which doorway or like seed to fly through next you have to use your signal detector to find out yeah and also because you can launch scouts that Teo alluded to previously, mm. um, which it basically is like a gun that shoots this little camera light thing and it tells you where it is at all times, which becomes really useful later in the game when, as Teo mentioned again, like with the, with the seeds, you don't necessarily know which seed comes out where or like you might be facing a tunnel and it might contain hazardous material. And so you don't want to just walk into the tunnel because you might just get burned up in some poisonous gas or whatever yeah so instead you shoot a little scout in and it says hazard and then you know not to go in that tunnel can i say as well that dark bramble just it's such a cool concept for a planet all of the planets had so much personality like it's some sort of alien seed which has taken root in a planet completely destroyed it and then each of its seeds leads you into another dimension which is a little bit which is way bigger than it appears on the outside. And when you shoot your scout through one of these seeds that's maybe too small to fit through, it turns up in another location. So it's messing with, I want to say space-time continuum, but that makes me just sound nerdy and I don't know what I'm talking about. Great <laughs> oh, Scott! The encounter could create a time paradox, the results of which could cause a chain reaction that would unravel the very fabric of the space-time continuum and destroy the entire universe! But that is pretty much what they would say in the game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, just since it's been referenced, there are some endings where the game ends early because you've broken the space-time continuum. Like, that's oh, a quote. Really? Yeah. <laughs> tell me. Tell me about those. Oh, no, we'll talk about that at the end, mate. Oh, endings okay, okay, at the okay. end, do you know what I mean? Ending, endings at the end. Um, but yeah, but give an said, example. Go on. No, I was just going to say, you said that it reminded you of tons of stuff. Like, without obviously just listing or something. Like, an obvious comparison for me would, would be missed. Do you remember that game Mist? Like yeah, I, I never played it, but I thought it might come up. Yeah, because it's a similar thing, but that Mist did it with islands, where you're like, we're on an island and you're exploring and you're finding like little fragments of recordings oh, and information. Okay. And that's basically exactly what you're doing here. So you're finding like runes written on walls that you translate mm. with another item you already have in your possession, mm. the translator. And then, yeah, that information gets saved to your ship log, which thematically I never understood. Like, why is it that your ship log retains the data? Uh, well, is your ship log actually not my technology? Because it has those little blue energy bars. What am I trying to say? Wires attached to it. So I kind of felt like that wasn't your own race's technology. That was like borrowed from the Nomai in some way. And the same with the, is it the translator? Basically, your technology is like sometimes built upon the stuff which you don't understand. And it's not really explained like massively well, but it kind no, of felt no, like it that. doesn't like, have to be either. Like it's no. it would the game wouldn't no. work otherwise. <laughs> like you're like if you to give people an idea of the sort of level that your racist technology is at, like your rocket ship is literally built out of wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I don't know. It's essential because of the groundhog nature of everything and you need to retain a serious volume of information by the end that you wouldn't just be able to memorise mm. um, yourself. So like, you no definitely way. need that point of reference that stores the information. But that's the only thing that carries through. And that's both really cool, but again, leads to some issues further down the line, I reckon. Like certain times you'll, you'll get to a really difficult to discover place on a planet that takes you actually quite a long time in real time to get there mm. and then you'll like unlock a door there that enables access from the surface of the planet and you think brilliant i've unlocked that door next time i come here i can just walk through that door but you can't and it's like <laughs> so i i have to do the really long-winded access again like that's that's one of the times where so there were two things in this game and i appreciate you're saying it wasn't gamified in a refreshing way and i i would agree with that but there were elements where I felt it could have been more gamified. Like, I would have liked it if previously discovered locations. If you've unlocked doors that have taken ages to unlock, just leave them unlocked. <laughs> and also, fast travel. And I know you're not going to like this one, but fast travel, man, it's got its perks. 
I spent no so much time flying back to planets, like real time that I'm never going to get back. Uh, come on. It, it's so quick. Like a solar system makes it sound massive. And it is like you have a real sense of scale, but it doesn't take long to travel to a planet. From the point at which you start, if you all, the first thing you do is get into your rocket ship, get into the cockpit, launch upwards, press autopilot onto a planet, like you're there in what felt like seconds to me. I'd have liked it to be bigger and definitely no fast travel. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a recurring theme. You with your no bloody fast travel but, in Sekiro as well. I'll, like I'll um I'll 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 concede on on the doors. It did feel a bit strange when you got to like you went through these this complicated like cave system which is really dark and you're navigating through while there's sand coming up from the bottom and you're like oh no I'm going to get crushed and then you get there and you're like ah phew you explore it you find a door and open it to the surface then you realise that it was something you didn't explore so you're able to escape easily but there's no way to get back there easily and yeah I don't think it would have taken much away if they'd left those doors open. Having said that, there are also shortcuts which you discover in kind of like little crevices and rocks and stuff. So they did that a little bit, but they, yeah, they didn't go the whole way. Yeah, but you idea. can easily not discover those as well. Because mm. I did discover a couple of those and then I was kind of livid that I hadn't discovered them earlier because I was like, oh man, I've wasted so much time. Like I'm thinking of one city in particular, one Nomai settlement in particular. The Sun is like, yeah, man alive. It takes so long to go through the caves. Then once you get there, loads of hazards yeah. on the way. Then you're like looking for stuff underneath and you eventually realise that there's like a hole where you can get in a different way. Really but I didn't realise that for so long and I basically explored the whole area by the point that I did realise it. How, how many times did you go through that underground track then? Because that's one of the most difficult ones, I'd say. The cave sequence. Mm. Well, yeah, but I had it memorised by the time I was doing it. Eventually, I was literally just like landing straight <laughs> doing in through the caves. Yeah, it was, I didn't even turn on the torch for the first bit. <laughs> Initially, that bit is actually really exciting, though, because the Nomai, they leave these the, this writing on the rocks and panels, which you can read using your translator device. They look a bit like musical clefts, don't they? Which I think might be deliberate, given the role of music in the game. Yeah, prob probably. They're definitely very... They're, they're, yeah, they're quite arty, aren't they? Oh, actually, actually, sorry, now I come to think of it, are they not drawn a bit like the... You know that photo thing? God, I'm going to sound inarticulate now. But you know that photo thing about like the perfect number and the perfect composition? Uh, and it's like a spiral that runs outwards. I think it's meant to be some sort of mathematical formula that produces this exact spiral. Uh, I think they, mu they might be modelled on that. Yeah, it could be. They do look like that. Like each one is a precise sort of, I don't even know the word to describe it either. We're both sounding inarticulate <laughs> spiral <laughs> spiral yeah but they're, they're all quite they're different sizes but they're all quite even yeah the number nine spread out <laughs> everyone knows what a spiral looks like right nines and sixes <laughs> <laughs> on that track which you had to take loads of times they write on all the rocks like just a little bit further like take the next left and then and then go up at the clearing sort of thing go straight through the sand which has fallen down when I was first doing that, like I felt quite a sense of danger as it, as it was happening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did as well because it was so annoying to have to keep coming back. <laughs> That's a different feeling. <laughs> oh, man, no. Uh, yeah, it's quite, um, it's good for the purposes of discovery that the Nomaya or Nomai are writing on the walls in runes. But sometimes they're just having flat out conversations and it made me wonder like, do they communicate in other ways? Or is this the sole way that they communicate? Yeah. And why are they communicating on the walls instead of just... I thought, I thought that as well. Do they, can they speak? Or do they have to communicate like solely through writing? Or Yeah, because sometimes they're, fl they're flirting. Uh, I've only just thought of this now, but could it... I mean, it's kind of a reference to messaging nowadays, no? Like we're messaging all sorts of things. And when when our race ceases to exist, when you look back at what our race has produced, if you found, it's like that thing, if you find a mobile phone from the 20th century, it's like an alien in the year 3000. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, wow, is this how humans communicated? Why are they sending each other these messages all the time? Yeah, that Did makes sense for the recordings other? that you find. And it makes sense for the like rune tablets that you find. But you, they, I don't think people would come back and be like, oh yeah, there's loads of like just conversations being written on walls. Yeah, and but that's what WhatsApp is. Landscape. Yeah, but but then it's but then it is also being playful with it, isn't it? It's like because they're written on walls and not on phones. Yeah, 
I mean, to be fair, it doesn't really matter. It makes the game work and like, that's kind of the nature of it. Mm. But it's only surprising because they're not like, they often don't seem to be messages written for posterity. They're very present. Mm. Like, like uh, the reason I mentioned the flirting is because when I saw that one, that's what made me think it. I was like, these guys are literally like having a little conversation about what they're going to do tonight on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> like an epistolary novel. Yeah. Very good too. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out my English literature degree there. Slamming it. So learning Japanese, English literature degree, any more of your CV you want to scatter into this? Uh, yeah, actually, because I wrote a physics-based uh, multiplayer game the other day, I think that made me appreciate the physics in the game loads more. But we've already talked about that, so let's not go into detail. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, the other thing that this reminded me of was a little bit the X-Files. Mm. And I know that sounds silly, but the reason is there's this constant reference to like the truth is out there. Like keep looking, you'll discover this bit, you'll discover that bit and eventually you'll learn something. And I like had that playing in the back of my mind. I mean, maybe you weren't an X-Files fan, to be fair, showing my age a little bit. But... <laughs> yeah. The truth is out there. I enjoyed it. I know, only know it from Simpsons references. I never actually... Maybe I watched one or two episodes. Yeah. They reference it constantly in The Simpsons. Are we alone in the universe? Impossible. When you consider the wonders that exist all around us. Voodoo priests of Haiti. The Tibetan numerologists of Appalachia. The unsolved mysteries of... Unsolved mysteries. The truth is out there. Ah. No! Oh, who'd have thought a whale could be so heavy? <gasps> Cheese at defense! I totally know what you, you mean. Since we're on comparisons, I thought you were going to say it would remind you of Subnautica. Did it remind you of Subnautica at all? Uh, yeah, but only... I almost don't want to talk about Subnautica, actually, because we are going to hopefully... Hopefully we're going to cover that when it's out, which might not be too long. But, yeah. you know, as a quick preview, yeah, it reminded me of elements of that, but only in the discovering a story about kind of a historic species you know, your ancestors, basically, mm. not in any other way. What about in Dark Bramble with the anglerfish? Because <laughs> or... they're fish. Is that what you're thinking? Well, no, but they will crush you and eat you. Those bloody fish are scary and annoying. They're so and scary. And the main reason that I technically didn't complete the game. Oh. Because, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, I guess I've just got to spit it out, really. Yeah, go on. Basically, I played for a really long time, explored everything I thought I could explore, and I just couldn't figure out how to get to... There's a there's constant reference to this, um, the Ash Twin project, which I kept thinking I'd discovered, but then it was a different thing. And, like, there was no... I couldn't figure out a way of actually getting there. And I'd spent so long doing it. And I'm not a very patient gamer, as as will be evident by now from these podcasts. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to look up what the deal is. And I'm not being funny. You didn't find it either, as far as I know, did you? No, it was the, one of the last big question marks I had. Do you want me to say then, or is it going to... Yeah, no, no, do, 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 because it's good for the podcast. You have to stand in a crumbly tower on the Ash Twin, which is one of the planets that's like spinning. You have to stand in the crumbled one, wait until the sand is overhead, aligned with the crumbly tower, and then thrust downwards into that warp pad so that you end up inside the Ashton project. And I just could not put those pieces together. And like, when I looked it up, honestly, this video had so many more views than any of the guy's other videos. And the comments were just full of people being like, I love this game, but it's puzzles like this make me really annoyed. And I honestly felt the exact same. I don't know where that guy was from, but I felt like him. <laughs> I love your YouTube commenter voice. <laughs> that is ghouling. But also, kind of, because I tried that a bunch of times. I was like, it's got to be this warp pad. Um, like, there's warp pads which can take you between the planets on the house, and uh, on the house, in the solar system. And there's one planet in particular which has a tower for each of the planets, and each of the towers contains a warp pad to that planet. But the planet itself, the warp tower is contained with the other planet which it's twinned with so it is quite intuitive that you know that that crumbly tower is that planet so i had that piece and i knew that 
But whenever I stood on it, just like you said, the sand comes over and blows you upwards. And I'm like, oh, maybe the warp pad just isn't working. But the warp pad is clearly activated in the way that all the rest of them are. But yeah, I didn't think to thrust down. That's so annoying. That's so annoying. Why would you have to do it at the exact moment that the sand's going overhead? I mean, to be honest, this is a bit nitty-gritty for a, for a listener. Because, no, I think this is good It's good nitty-gritty if you haven't played it or you played it and got stuck on this bit. Because the warp pads always have to be visually aligned with the planet that you're warping to before it warps you there. And I but guess... it's inside the Ash Twin. Well, I guess the visual alignment for the, for the Ash Twin is the point at which the sand is being pulled off it. Like, that's its alignment point. But, like you say, the top of the tower's broken, so you right, just get pulled. Yeah, you, yeah. You, get, you get sucked up into the other planet. Ah, that's so annoying. That kind of does make sense when you say it, but I would that does not make sense to a gamer playing it, I don't think. I mean, it must have to a few of them, because some people figured it out. But who knows how many hours those guys put in. I certainly wasn't any. But um. <laughs> when you do solve the puzzles um, in games like that, you do feel great. Like those anglerfish that we mentioned before, you have to sneak past them. Well, I'll let you. How did you find out about that bit? Yeah, yeah. No, I found out about that bit through the Sunset City or whatever it's called. Mm. And some kids have been playing there and they find out that the a fish is... Um, basically, there's, a, there's like a skeleton of the fish and they play a little childhood game around the skeleton of the fish. And then they find out that the fish is blind by overhearing some other people. So it becomes like, can you sneak up on the fish? And the adults are really entertained that the kids have incorporated that bit of biology into their, like, gaming. And so, obviously, you take away from that, oh, well, the, the anglerfish are blind, so if I'm quiet, they won't hear me. That that bit's, yeah, I get that. That's straightforward. I understand it. But they're so bloody sensitive. Like, honestly, when you're going through Dark Bramble trying to find the vessel, which is, becomes clear as your ultimate destination, and you kind of are trying to find it after you found Feldspar, you're, you're heading towards it really really carefully you're like inches away and then some fish just devour you and you're like i wasn't even touching the thruster where did you come from and like because you're floating in like zero gravity sometimes you have to align your ship to get into like quite a small access hole as well so like you can just hold the a button basically to do that and it shoots some thrusters to kind of like match Mm. your speed with the speed of the thing you're approaching which is brilliantly useful in every scenario, basically, and really unclear when you first start how important that is. Mm. But when you use that match speed function inside the dark bramble, you're firing your thrusters, so then fish are drawn to you, and they, again, instantly devour you. Once you get into the Ashtwin project, big time spoiler, you have to basically take one of the warp cores that's powering the whole time loop you take it out and rush to the dark bramble through the dark bramble to get to the vessel to like put the warp core there and fire up some other coordinates you've learned about to get to the eye of the universe which we will shortly get onto Mm. and in order to do that you have to traverse the dark bramble perfectly because if you don't you've now removed the warp core that is powering the whole loop and so I obviously did that, didn't navigate it perfectly, got devoured by fish and was met with the message, you're dead. And then back to the start screen and my whole game had ended because there was no loop anymore. Like the time loop had what? ended. So you get one shot. <laughs> well, think about it. Not really, because you've still got your memory. So you still know. Oh, so you can just do it. You can just start a fresh expedition on your first loop. You can try it again. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So you can technically do a speed run of the whole game in one loop. Um, I think you get an achievement for that. But by that point, honestly, I was so frustrated. And like, I'd spent so long getting inside Dark Bramble to just be devoured by those damn fish that I was like, do you know, what? I'm just going to watch the endings because I'm fed up. I know what happens. I know it's the end. I'll just watch someone else end the game. You do have to be patient, but there's, there's one bit that you get to where you go through one of Dark Bramble's seeds and in front of you there are three sleeping anglerfish in a row and if you you have to thrust into the seed and then stop all your engines and you just float through them like like an anglerfish in real life has a little light on the end of it so, um, I don't know what you'd call that a lantern so like a, isn't it a lantern yeah and you literally your spacecraft like goes exactly all through his lantern the first time it happens you're like oh god um, but yeah, no, I can see how that would be frustrating. I navigated to the vessel three times. Well, 
kind of four. Like I got to that bit once and then had all these fish like swarm me. The second time I did it fine and I was quite, I was really, really patient because I was so scared. So I just waited for ages and ages and ages and ages and then got to the place I needed to be. But then the second time I was a little bit impatient and the, the fish got me. But then the third time I was patient again. I felt confident I could replicate it. But yeah, like it's not, um, it is a bit of a knife edge moment for sure. Yeah. But that's why it becomes problematic when it's the very final, like mm. you have to have already visited another planet and it takes seven minutes on the Ash Twin project for the actual crumbling tower that you need to enter to even be revealed by the sand falling off the planet. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> there are a couple of other things. One massive one that is an amazing concept to introduce to a game and comes into the whole quantum observation thing. So basically, the game takes the idea that in quantum physics, I'm not a physicist, but it's, I, I understand it's along these lines. When you're looking at a tiny, 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 tiny like molecule or atom or quark or whatever it is, if you're observing it, it's in like a set state. But if you like aren't observing it, it's actually potentially not just in that state. It could be in another one, which gives rise to the whole like parallel universe theory and stuff. I could be way off base on this, by the way. But anyway, it introduces a gaming mechanic whereby if you're looking at a quantum object, it's there. But as soon as you look away, it's not. And you don't know. Like, that's, that's fine once you know about it. But when it first gets introduced, man alive, it's disorienting. Mm. <laughs> at one point, you're in a cave system. You're, like, moving around and you're like, oh, okay, there's a cactus there. I'll go through this entrance. And then, like, you turn around and the cactus is gone and so is the entrance. And there's a whole different, like, rock. And you're thinking, wait, am I going mad? And then you turn around <laughs> again and it's back and, like, everything just... You're never sure if the version you're seeing is the version you need to see or the mm. version the game's tricking you in. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. It's very, very disorientating, especially at the beginning, when you don't believe your own senses. And in a game which doubles down on on gravity and physics in a way which you, in which you're taught things are like... The, the, you're taught the physicality of the world... To then to then break those rules um, with a storyline like the the quantum moon uh, is is really cool and fun. Yeah, I mean it's ballsy of them. I'll give it that. To the point where I fe I felt like <laughs> it's just as like a wacky metaphor I was thinking of that like solving the outer worlds is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle where every piece is in a different room and you don't know if you need the piece until you enter the room. But when you enter the room, it might be totally dark or there might not be a piece there, but really there is a piece there, just not while you're looking. And like, <laughs> you end up going into these rooms hundreds of times, forgetting if you've even been in the room. Did it look the same last time you were in the room? And at the end of the day, your puzzle's still riddled with holes. That's both genius and like really entertaining to begin with. And ultimately, when you, you're at a place where you're like, okay, I'd quite like to wrap up the, the source of frustration as well. Yeah, brilliant analogy. That's, that's exactly what it's like. Um, did you find the quantum moon? Yeah, by planting a scout on the front of my ship and taking photos of the moon as I approached it. That is sick. I never thought about doing that. That's awesome. So you see the you see the quantum moon like flying around mm. the universe all the time, but like when you see it, if you look away and you look back, it'll, it'll have rotated. It'll be in a whole different place in the galaxy. And if you just fly at it, because that's what I tried to do first, is just mm. fly at it. But as soon as you actually get so close to it that it fills your vision, then that counts as like it not being in your vision or something, and you end up like flying through it. Mm. So you can't like land on it. But if you take photos of it as you approach it it forces the moon to stay there and then you like land on the surface. That's genius. I bet you felt good figuring that one out. Oh, I did not figure that one out. No way, no. Oh, right. I was, I was stuck as you were, mate. This is, this is another example of me trying to land on the damn quantum moon four or five times before I was like, right, how do you do this? A shame not, neither of us thought of that because there's a tower where you learn the rule, like that particular rule that if you take a picture of a quantum object with your scout, don't even if we, know if we mentioned if you take pictures, but um, then then it will stay where it thinks it is because looking at a picture of a quantum object is the same as looking in reality at a quantum object. Mm. Not so sure about the science behind that. Maybe we should get Noah on as like a little segment of him giving an explanation. <laughs> Noah's a mate of ours who is a physicist. 
Hey everyone, Noah here. So I'm a researcher at Oxford University in condensed matter physics, where I also studied for my physics master's degree and PhD. I was ready to come on here and tell Ben and Teo to stick to discussing video games and leave the nature of the universe to the experts, but actually guys, you're not a million miles off. So it is true that very small objects such as atoms and subatomic particles will, if left to their own devices, tend to exist in several states simultaneously. For instance, if you put an atom inside a tiny little atom-sized box and leave it alone, it will sort of leak out the box and exist simultaneously both inside and outside the box. It's also true that if you were to then look in the box, you would force the atom to either be completely inside or completely outside the box. This is called the observer effect. The common misconception, no thanks to the name, or outer worlds apparently, is that this has anything at all to do with the atom being observed by a conscious observer you get exactly the same effect if pretty much anything at all, even just a few stray particles of light, disturbs the atom in any way. In reality, these quantum states are actually extremely fragile, which is partly why quantum computers are so difficult to make. So I think the camera mechanic does make some sense in that taking a picture of a quantum object is certainly equivalent to observing one, in terms of them both equally disturbing the object. However, later looking at a picture you've previously taken of a quantum object is in reality going to have no effect whatsoever. Enough, Reggie. This introduces a really interesting question or issue or question, which is um, <laughs> <laughs> what order do you have to discover things in for the game about discovery to work well as a game about discovery? Mm. So, and I ask that because I encounter the quantum moon. It's one of the few things in a galaxy that doesn't come up with a name when you when you see it floating around. Everything else, the planet name appears, its distance appears, etc. But the quantum moon, its distance appears, but no name. And so, you obviously are curious about it, and you try and land on it, and you can't. And you try and land on it, and you can't. And then you chalk it up to the fact that you can't land on it. But then you find kind of a, a lot of references to getting to it. So then you keep trying to land on it. And during this period, you haven't encountered the quantum tower, maybe, mm. because you just haven't done that bit yet. And so you, you just kind of give up on the moon. You go somewhere else. Then you put the toaster sandwich maker away and... You know what? What? You don't miss it. So what you're saying is don't hide your toaster sandwich maker away. Use him regularly and you'll get the most out of him. No, she's saying, chuck your boyfriend, have a sandwich. That's one instance, but there's like tons and tons of examples of that. Like the, the, I would say the biggest example of this is there's a planet called Giant's Deep. I think it's called that. Is it called that? Giant's yeah, Deep. yeah, yeah. Where you, when you land on it, it seems to be like a gas planet, but then you go through the gas and it's like a water planet. And then if you go into the water, the current like forces you back to the surface, but you can see that there's something below you as well. It's covered in cyclones, these like water mm -hmm. towers that are spinning everywhere. It turns out mm -hmm. one of the cyclones is spinning in a different direction and will shoot mm. you underneath the surface, underneath the current that is pushing you back up. Mm -hmm. So it takes you ages just to find that bit of information. So if you discover Giant's Deep first, you're like, right, well, I'm fucked. I can't do anything on this planet. It just yeah. kills me. <laughs> I'll give up on that. This planet is hostile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the first planet I visited. And that was, it was, <laughs> yeah, I went through exactly like, you described thought it was a gas a gas giant and then it turned out to be a massive water planet with these massive cyclones on and i was like whoa abort abort <laughs> like straight off because at that point i had no idea about what the game was exactly but then so then you go away and you spend like you know tens of hours exploring other places and eventually you find out that you can get into that mm. you know the cyclone that's spinning anti-clockwise rather than clockwise and get under the current mm. you think brilliant yes and you go straight back there and you get in it and you go under the current and you're all elated and then there's nothing there except for jellyfish and this like electrical core and if you approach either one of those two things you die <laughs> And you're like, okay, I've, clearly I have to be here. I've spent so long trying to get here. It's taken me ages to even learn about the things to get me mm. here. And now I'm just going to die instantly. If you're a really patient gamer, like you evidently are, you go away and you might then discover Feldspar and he unlocks another clue for you. But if you're not, and you've, you haven't found Feldspar yet, and you've already been to multiple planets before you've got to this thing, it's like, mm. good God, give me some respite. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's just like your jigsaw analogy. Um, you you have a piece, but clearly it's you don't have all of the pieces. So you're a step further. But we're used to games being a lot more linear than that. 
even if they're open world, there'll be a quest within that open world game, which tells you to go to A to B to C in a row. Very, very rarely will there be as many threads which interconnect for you to solve an overall mystery as there are in Outer Worlds. But the thing I appreciated about it is that there was never a point where there wasn't a thread for me to follow. So if I was stuck and thought, mm, I don't really know what to do now, I'd always go to my investigation board or my investigation screen computer on the ship, look at a question mark and just think, oh, I haven't looked at this place yet. I'll go there. And eventually you do just uncover everything. As we already talked about, you don't uncover everything necessarily if you're not, if you're not smart enough. But, you know, it respects you in that sense. Although I do appreciate that maybe the final mystery doesn't quite do that. I think what it boils down to is a difference in gamer mentality maybe like like on the one hand I agree with you and I accept that and I appreciate that as a as a ethic almost when creating a game like they're not going to condescend to the gamer they're going to leave it truly open world and allow for true discovery but like to quickly jump back to the Subnautica reference within Subnautica for instance as you progress you're enabled to go to like deeper stratas of the ocean and so you know as you progress well that's where I need to go next I need to be looking in that deeper strata you know that the aim is to get to the next deeper strata and Mm. pretty much until you've conquered the ocean right Mm. whereas with this you've got access to all of the places straight away right more or less not all of the places like in theory you've got access to all the places straight away Mm. and so the question really boils down to like as a gamer do you have the time and do you have the patience um and the interest as well because i would say that part of the reason i gave up in various puzzles is because my interest just waned i was like i've been to the same place a number of times like i'm not curious enough to try every little thing in the hope that maybe one of them will work yeah i I think that's totally fair point i think maybe the pace at which i played it maybe contributed to me becoming less frustrated with it because i'd do like i'd play for an hour or maybe an hour and a half at a time and that meant whenever i came back to it there was always a thing i was like oh yeah this is what i'm gonna look for now so i I never really gave myself the time to get frustrated with it because i maybe just played it a bit slow that's interesting that's interesting because I'm I'm more of a binge gamer so I'll sit for like five hours yeah I I couldn't I couldn't imagine binging that game when I first started I think I played two or three hours but apart from that maybe you're right that's that's an interesting change of philosophy maybe that's how I'll approach puzzle games in future yeah I mean imagine binging the witness you'd be like your brain would just be mush <laughs> oh I didn't binge it but I also gave up like it's a brilliant game that I knew I was never going to complete <laughs> Um, did you ever play uh, Zelda Majora's Mask on the N64? No, actually, shamefully, pretty much the only Zelda I've properly played start to finish is Breath of the Wild. Before that, I ha- I'd only sort of played for a bit when I was at other people's houses. It was really ahead of its time in the in the time loop mechanic that it used. I could be wrong because I was 11 or 12 when I played it. Um, but I think it does exactly the same thing, which is you can go anywhere from the start of the game. Although you do upgrade your equipment and stuff, so maybe that isn't true. But I think you can complete it from the very beginning. Actually, as I'm saying that, I think that's wrong. So people will correct me if I'm wrong. But either way, uh, it does it does a similar thing. A way all you're doing for the rest of the game is like fleshing out people's stories and like collecting all these different masks and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know where I'm really going about. <laughs> um, well, since we're talking about time, which we are vaguely, you were 10 or 12 as you were. That is a tenuous connection. I'm owning up to that. But hell, whatever. <laughs> I want to talk about time. Um, it's not just like a mechanic that the game uses 22 minutes and then it restarts just to kind of keep it the ball rolling. It's not just that. It's like intrinsic to the whole essence of the game in the sense that like the time it takes you to get to a place. Like I said previously, it takes seven minutes for, for the sand to reveal a tower that proves to be critical. So if you land on that planet and you look around and you think, this is a boring planet, or you go to one of the other towers and you think, I've seen the towers on that island, and then you leave again, you've missed that critical little window. Mm. There's another example of this, which is when you land on the comet, the interloper, which is this comet that shoots across the whole galaxy and back, 
the first time I landed on it, I explored it. I found a reference to something that said like about a fissure in the sunny side that they've managed to get inside the comet. Mm. And I was like, brilliant, I'll go find the fissure. And I got there and I found a fissure and it was sealed up. And I was like, what the hell? And I died and I thought, okay, well, I'll come back to it another time. Went back, same deal, couldn't get inside. And then as I was stood there, it just started to melt and reveal. And I realised it just needed to be closer to the sun. Mm. But like, there's no way I could have anticipated that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the first time I landed there, I had no clue that that was a potential. And this isn't a criticism. This is a really cool feature, but it just Mm. adds a whole other layer of difficulty to the game knowing Mm. that like not only are things quantum and they might or might not be there for that reason Mm. but they might or might not be there because simply you're there at the wrong time yeah yeah exactly the same thing happened to me with the interloper i went to it three or four times and you know there's something to discover there like it just has to be but until i actually read that piece of text which says the nomai found a, a crack in a crevice on the sunny side of the comet and when it said sunny side i was like Aha, uh-huh. must be when it gets near the sun. And then you go and you wait there. And then sure enough, as it gets closer to the sun, you hear this sound that goes like, and you can get inside and it's great. But that's not, that's a completely non-essential part of the game because there are quite a few bits and pieces and like nuggets of story, which you, you definitely just might not never ever discover. Yeah, I mean, the volume of information, like given that there are only sort of six or seven entities to explore, the volume mm. of information you find and store and reference like is crazy yeah that's one of the one of a couple of moments which i can think of which i actually thought were quite sad because you through the writing you realize that there's one nomai on their spaceship that's landed on the comet and two that have gone inside and they haven't returned and they've died there and you basically see their graveyard where they both perished and there's another point in dark bramble when you see a lot of dead bodies and this music kicks in this nice little piece of piano music yeah, I don't know. I thought it was actually quite quite poignant at those moments. Yeah, well, that's interesting because the game also is noteworthy for its inclusion of things like just general themes that we kind of battle in life. Like, I would say it's got a sort of philosophical undertone to it, mm. including, like, sustainability. Like, you'll often see the Nomai writing about sustainability. Like, you'll find them saying, oh, well, we were going to mine here, but we realised that our mining would be detrimental to the existing species, so we're going to mine somewhere else. Yeah, which is your species. Yeah, which is your species. So that's, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, that's quite a powerful little note. Mm. And they write something similar somewhere else as well about, like, the energy that they're using. They need to make sure that it's not going to be detrimental to any future civilization. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really nice as well. Yeah, so there's, like, that philosophical element. And the other one is, like, the cyclic philosophical element of, like, all things... Which, which the ending highlights a lot more, I've got to be honest. But, like that all things start and end and start and end and it's like it's almost like the cycle Mm. of daybreak isn't it when you wake up every time and then you do a new thing and explore Mm. a new thing and it's like this sort of broad metaphor yeah or am i overanalyzing it I, I don't think you are overanalyzing it. I didn't I didn't think about um, each playthrough being a day and the days of our lives being quite similar in the same way that a run through of the game is similar and the implications of that. But I, I think that's a, that's a really good analysis for sure. And it's definitely a very philosophical game. Well, if I can if I can jump to the spoiler a little bit um, with the very yeah, tell me what happens at the end. Well, so at the very end, you essentially uh, you've. You enter the vessel, you get teleported to the eye of the universe, which the Nomai have been referencing throughout the entire game. Like almost every rune you find in some way or another alludes to the eye of the universe, which is why they're in your galaxy system in the first place, responding to a signal that they've detected. And so you you teleport to the eye of the universe using these coordinates that you find in the Ash Twin Project and the warp core there. And once you do that, it ends the loop because you've taken the warp core Mm. and you land on this sort of other planet that's kind of like it's weird actually you you it's sort of like 
quantum material but then it's got a black hole and then you fall through the black hole and you land in like a woodland and then in the woodland it's dark and like basically it's all a bit trippy and like lots of different stuff happens and you have to mm. use your signal finder to find all the people all the characters from the game that you've you've kind of met up with so far and they oh. each, and you each check each of them are ready to start playing the music which is an essential element that we haven't really talked about oh my god and then once they do you they all come to your campfire they sit around they all play the music and i'm not really sure what happens everything just kind of it's like a boom or a, i think it's meant to represent the big bang it like recreates the big bang and then everything starts moving outwards again wow that gave me shivers as you were explaining it then that's how emotionally invested really? I, think I ended up feeling yeah in this game. it's quite yeah. momentous it is quite momentous and what's quite strange as well is that as i've been playing this game um, I've been watching a show called Devs, which is all about predetermination. Have you have you watched it? Devs is like no US um, drama. It's it's quite good. It's it's got really interesting themes and topics, but the delivery is not perfect. But anyway, yeah, it's all about predetermination and that like from the point of the Big Bang, every single thing, like the position of every molecule, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is like inevitably gonna be in a certain position in the universe. And therefore, if you can like calculate where the position has of everything was at a certain time you can anticipate where it will be at a certain time and like that's the premise of the mm. show and what's weird is like that tied in so much to this game as i was watching oh cool yeah it was it was like a <laughs> it was like the game had strayed into my universe <laughs> fleetingly wow wow that is a yeah that's a, a fortunate and un- uncanny uh coincidence for sure yeah it was. I feel bad about spoiling it for you, though, because the discovery element is... is oh, no, don't, don't feel bad. Like, it was going to be spoiled. It, it was almost at the point where it was going to be spoiled anyway. Like, I wouldn't have figured out that tower thing. Um, I'm pleased I almost did, but yeah. Yeah. One thing I never understood is the relevance of 22 minutes. Because it seems like as soon as the Nomai figure out they can go back in time on a loop, they immediately jump to 22 minutes. Yeah, I didn't get that either because it, basically they figure out that by going through the black hole and into the white hole, you end up coming out of the white hole before you went into the black hole. Uh, I got the impression that 22 minutes was like the furthest they could stretch that phenomena mm. and utilize it. But um, that's def- that, that, that might not be true. Yeah. Well, I guess we're at the point where we're sort of wrapping this up now, don't you think? Other than the music which I do think um, seems to be like quite an important element of the game. I'm not really sure why. I guess it must be to do with, like again, like the language of everyone or like a universal language is like music or something. But I'm not really sure why they mm. chose music as the, as the way that everyone kind of provokes the Big Bang at the end and also what everyone's playing and you're kind of trying to use to discover them and that kind of stuff. Well, when we're listening for sing- signals in outer space... That is, that's what, when I mean, we're not listening for music, we're listening for sound. But I suppose it's a way in which to communicate over long distances um, that we have right now. So maybe it's a, a reference to that. Yeah, that's um, true. And then also like, and also, like you say, it's just a way for different species. So, well, certainly different species, unconfirmed different species. <laughs> that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> different cultures to communicate um and potentially different species just seeing it in the in the show notes now ben and Teo talk about the fermi paradox (laughs) (laughs) um so it's it's a cool thing a cool motif to use in in that way i think cool well so i yeah i mean overall we both enjoyed it i i can only speak for myself in saying that i i enjoyed it but I wish it, I'd got to the resolution myself and had that self sense of discovery Mm. and i don't think i was ever going to get there Mm. Um, whether or not we had the deadline of recording this podcast I just don't think I would have had the patience and the tolerance to do that so for me that's a downer but I appreciate that for other people like the fact that that is such a revelation when they make those discoveries makes it worth the trade-off so I think it boils down to the game you are one more little reference then that that I'll cram in because it's come to mind is you know when we play Sherlock Holmes consulting detective oh yeah and we we have we have to go, which is a board game where you where you unravel a murder mystery, and you you go all the way around London reading little snippets of text from different places and try and piece together who did it from those things. 
Um, and then when you think you've got it, you uh, you lay your solution out and then you read how Sherlock Holmes would have solved it. And it's always way quicker and way more simple than you got to. And maybe you didn't even get it right in the first place. Feels a little bit like that. It definitely is like that. Definitely. Like the fact you can finish the whole game in like one single less than 22 minute loop is indicative. Mm. But yeah, Sherlock Holmes, Consultant Detective, brilliant game. And uh, so is this. Nice. Rounded that one out. So what's next? What are we playing next? I've persuaded you. Yeah, you didn't have to persuade me too hard. We're playing Control. The thing I was mainly worried about was just how graphically intensive it was going to be on 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 my computer um but as it's on geforce and it seems to be working really really smoothly over the internet connection that i've got i'm well looking forward to it i think it's gonna be sick sweet i am also extremely excited to talk about it nice on that note let's sail off float off into the outer wilds what do you mean <laughs> let's play some music together let's yeah. have a jam what is this where it's going to cut in to be trying to be a multi instrumentalist when I'm hardly even a single instrumentalist. <laughs> oh man. Right. At least one of us is a um, a trained musician, so I'm sure you'll manage to make it sound alright. I don't think it's gonna be apparent. Alright. Alright, nice one man. Thanks everyone. So we're out. Bada bing, bada boom. I haven't done the cover of the theme music yet, but I was just having a little pick on the banjo, a little twiddle on the violin. Uh, so I reckon that will come out really nice, actually. Oh, cool. I'll just get some tambourine on the go at my end, like... There's quite a lot of synth involved as well. It's kind of like a, like... Isn't there? Yeah, well, I mean, if I do the beacon sounds, I can literally just hold one note and wobble it a bit. <laughs> <laughs>